This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Welcome to All Possibilities. I'm your host, Julie Chan, and I'm here with Jessica Brodkin, who is the founder of Love and Light Reiki. So I met Jessica fairly recently, and we had a 10-minute conversation when she mentioned that she graduated from MIT, a fellow alum, and she had worked for the CIA. So I was very curious how she ended up being a Reiki and energy healer. Jessica, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. So let's just dive right in because I just want to hear the journey that you had to to get from um, MIT grad to to now being a you know I see you as a spiritual healer. Mm-hmm. So what what happened? Tell us about that journey. It was a it was a really strange journey. I think probably similar to yours in some ways or a lot of people. I um, I was an atheist. Um, as a kid and as a teenager, and then began, became agnostic. And in my 20s, I, I, I was 26, I had migraines and pseudo-seizures. So I used to, and the migraine, migraines were so debilitating that I was on dis, like government disability. I couldn't work for, I think, a few months. I couldn't like leave the house. I couldn't function. And um, I was put on, given a lot of tests, and I was put on a lot of medicine, medication, a lot of pharmaceutical drugs that really affected my system and made things worse. And I ended up uh, passing out at a friend's house from a migraine. And then I woke up and he was waving his hands over me. And I said, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm doing Reiki. And I'm like, what, what is that? And I was in New York at the time and I lived in DC. So I went back down to DC and I looked online and I found a healer who ended up um, I ended up working with him for 10 years. So it's, it's almost, it's been almost 10 years that I've known him and I ended up becoming a healer, which, um, so I was really sick and all of the medication didn't work and he was able to heal me. It took a long time. It took a while, but, um, I ended up not seeing him that often. And then in my early, th- I guess it was around 30, 31, I kind of fell into a massive depression again. I started having pseudo seizures again. Nothing seemed to work. I was put on seven antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds. Mm. I was on partial disability. It was really bad. And um, and then the only pr- thing that was able to help me was once again going to this healer and meditating. And at the time I lived in an opposite place of New York City where I am now. I lived near a wildlife preserve right next to it in, in Northern Virginia. And I would just meditate in the woods with my dog. And I went to spiritual healing and I, I stayed on my meds until it was safe enough to get off of them. It took some time, but then I was able to get off of them. Then my sister got really sick with uh, ulcerative colitis and I sent her to my Reiki healer and she was, she's living in Miami. I was living in New York. My healer was in DC and some healers do distance work and he did distance work and it, it didn't really do anything. And then I channeled how to do distance work. Um, and I was able to make her feel better. And most of my clients in the very beginning were all distance clients. I had not met a lot of my clients. And so that's how I found out that I could heal people. Then I studied, then I channeled more, then I developed a business. And now I have a place in Chelsea 
in New York where I work. So, boom. <laughs> wow. What was it like for you to discover the existence of energy healing? And, and especially given your background, going to MIT as an undergrad, from what right, I yes. recall. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think energy didn't feel that weird to me. I think what got really weird is when I started seeing spirits, which I haven't mentioned, that got really difficult for me. The existence of energy, for me, the way that I rationalize it and the way that I still rationalize it is that, you know, when I touch people and when I do sessions with people, they feel it. They feel tingling. They feel buzzing. They feel calmer. They feel a release. They feel much better. And so there's a physical sensation that takes place during people's healings. I think that, I think that there, for me, I, I, I know that so many things were discovered really recently. Quantum physics is relatively new. We just understood Newtonian physics before. Um, electricity hasn't been around that long and is used to power pretty much everything in our society. So I think that there are many, uh, that there are other forms of energy that we don't understand. And it could be that what I'm doing is activating people's electrical circuits. The truth is I don't know. It, I, I don't know exactly. So I think that science hasn't caught up with exactly what's going on. I feel like my work is on the kind of on the brink. And for me, I actually don't believe that there is a difference between spirituality and science. That is a fundamental belief of mine. I think that, I mean, I think if you are a spiritual person, to the core, the belief is that there's no such thing as separation, that we're all one, everything is one. And every time I kill a bug, I wonder if his wife is at home thinking, has anyone seen Frank? You know, I don't know if bugs have wives or broods of baby bugs, but they must, they must reproduce and have baby bugs. And I don't know if they're like upset that their dad got flushed down the toilet. You know, I assume that they are, but I don't know what they're, <laughs> it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, but I, I, I still kill bugs. Um, I, uh, and occasionally my body craves meat, so I, f you know, feel weird about it. Um, and I, I do eat meat, but anyway, I'm getting off topic, but if, if you believe everything is one, then there's no separation between spirituality and science. And even if it's a placebo, so I think that there's a huge relationship between what is placebo and what is, what really has an effect. And there's a part of me that feels like, who cares if it's placebo? If, it, if people feel better, then isn't that all that matters? I mean, that's something that I've definitely grappled with. Mm -hmm. Because fortunately, Reiki specifically has been proven through, um, through studies, through um, peer-reviewed journals. They don't all point to it, but I think it's like nine out of 12 studies or something like pretty significant. And a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs that are given to people are effective a per smaller percentage of the time. So let's say Prozac works for 60% of the population. That's less than Reiki works for the population. Not that it's a replacement for Prozac, but I'm just saying that the mm -hmm. efficacy, um, I, I also love crystals and crystals have, uh, they're not as proven to work. It depends which studies you read and, and what you think, but there there's one huge study that it's not proven to work better than placebo. And that does kind of made me feel weird, but I still, I, I don't know. I feel them. Mm. I think I'm more sensitive than the average bear, mm -hmm. but I do feel them. For our listeners who may not be familiar with Reiki. Sure. And, and I just very recently took an energy healing workshop to even kind of dive into this new field. So incredibly fascinating experience there. Can you explain what, what is Reiki? What, what happens? What are you doing during a session so that, so that we can understand the kind of the, the mechanics of it? Sure. So the general gist is that everything has a human, uh, an energy field around it, all objects, but there's a human energy field that's around it. So your body, the energy of your body does not end 
where your body ends. So if you look at the electrons in your body, they actually go way further out than where a physical body ends. So when people, some people who can see auras, or if you feel the energy of somebody walking into a room, or if there was been, there was a huge fight in a room before you walked in there, you didn't know that there was a fight, you walk in there and you feel something awkward. That's the feeling that most people are familiar with. So the idea of energy healing and Reiki is basically we're adjusting people's energy fields. We're releasing blockages in the chakras. There are seven main chakras in the body and the chakras are all related to different functions, different, um, different traumas are stored in, in different parts of the body. And so we work through the chakra system. And for me, I also work on the smaller chakras and also on other parts of the body. Like one thing I found is that when people have a lot of tension in their left forearm, they have issues with their mother. When they have a lot of tension in their right forearm, they have issues with their father. And this has been across the board, like weird stuff. There's an emotional mapping of the body that massage therapists use. So the way that a typical session looks like is somebody lays down on a, a massage table, face up, and I measure their chakras. I can use an instrument or I can just use my intuition and a pendulum or just my intuition. I have used pendulums before and I started using one again just to show some of my clients what was going on so that they can see a physical representation. But um, I use crystals and I use essential oils, which have a lot of data that backs the use of, of essential oils. And so I basically use my intuition and different techniques to help unblock people's chakras to release energy. There's some grips that I use. Reiki, you can, you can either wave your hand, you can wave your hands above the body or you can touch people. I do a combination of both. Um, Reiki specifically has uh, Japanese symbols that people use. I don't use Japanese symbols. I kind of created my own sort of way that I use a combination of, of various healing purposes. I use some shamanism, which I really like. And shamanism is a form of spiritual healing that is kind of ubiquitous around the world. And it originated in Siberia. They have shamans in Peru, but they actually don't really, it's kind of like, almost like the medicine man in a village, in an indigenous village. That's what shamans are. Mm. And they have their own sort of rituals and practices. And it's really interesting. It's a, it's a really wild experience. Yeah. I, I can imagine having, heard about Reiki a lot from mm -hmm. from people in the kind of healing and spiritual community, never actually having experienced it fully until this energy healing workshop. And they just kind of taught us what basically what to do. And then we paired off and practiced on mm -hmm. one another. And when I was doing it, I mean, it was maybe I put my hand on her shoulder or and and I was doubting myself. I was like, mm -hmm. supposedly your intuition is supposed to tell you where to go. Mm -hmm. And and I thought, well, how am I going to know that? This might be kind of random. And so I placed my hand on her head because I thought, oh, maybe maybe I should. And, you know, started, started doing some of the, like, I guess it's like working with the energy field to take away maybe what no longer serves them. And then she later told me afterward that, that her headache had disappeared. And for me, that was just another aha moment, like even on a spiritual path of just having more, um, kind of evidence of, of how this works, I thought was just incredibly fascinating. So, I say all that to ask when 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 you are intuiting mm -hmm. how does that work for you cuz I'm imagining everyone is different and and when do you doubt yourself can you kind of talk more about that this is that's a great question and a lot of people ask me about my intuition my intuition comes in many forms and I'm excited that you tried energy healing as an intuitive, because I think that if you're one type of intuitive, you really can go across the board in terms of intuition. I think maybe this isn't exactly what you asked. I mean, I will answer exactly what you asked, mm -hmm. but the most important part of intuition is to release your mind. Your mind is dumber than your intuition in terms of what to do. And I think it's hard for someone, for people like you and me who are like, 
um, MIT educated and that for, for us, we've been rewarded Mm -hmm. throughout our lives for having this kind of situation, for having that kind of education or admired for that to be like, Oh no, I don't need that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how good I'm at, at how I'm, how good I am at math. Someone's lying down on my table, my hands go where they need to go. So like I will, someone's lying on my table and my, my hands kind of just like go where they're supposed to. So I feel out, I don't even, I, I, I kind of remove my brain and I feel out sort of, I end up touching someone's leg and I find out that they had a lot of knee pain there. And I have a, one, of my, one of my hands is above the knee when my hand is below the knee and then it releases the knee pain. Um, that's kind of, because I've done other types of readings. I've done, um, intuitive read, just like straight psychic readings. I've done medium work and I've done, um, energy work and they, the, the intuition for all of them feel different to me. Mm. So when I do intuitive readings, which I don't do that often and I try not to <laughs> be, for a whole host of reasons that I can explain later if you'd like. But when I do that kind of work, I feel like I'm connecting to some, I'm connecting to something bigger than me. And then I just clear everything and I just, and I, I'm very deliberate about who and what I connect to. Because when I first began seeing spirits and doing kind of accidental mediumship, I would just see everybody. So if Joe the plumber died and a piece of his soul is left over, you don't want to listen to his advice about stock tips or whatever. <laughs> like that's, but you're like, oh, he's a spirit. He must know better. It's like, no, nah, he doesn't necessarily know better. So I think it's important to kind of like know who you're connecting to and be very deliberate. Like there are they my guides? I already know the names of my guides. I know what they look like. I've connected to them for years. So I'm like, okay, so there's one guy, Nicodemus, this other guy, St. Thomas, another guy named, there are two Thomases apparently. So I know who I'm, I know who I'm connecting to. I don't know if I'm making sense. I hope so. Mm -hmm. So I've seen my clients' relatives pretty often, or not pretty often, but I've seen my clients' relatives. And I think that that's sometimes surprising and weird for both of us. I think one of my weirdest experiences, there was a, there was a room I used to rent on 20, I work on 28th street now, but there was a room I used to rent on 28th street that was in a, it was a really, it was a nice center, but the building was just horrendous and it was really cheap, but the building, and it was a great place to build my business, but the, the booking was really difficult. There was no online booking for me. And I had a lot of people calling to book that day. And so it was really difficult. And then it was, um, in this just horrible building that if you walked up these spiral stairs, it looked like you were going to your death. You know, it was just like, <laughs> and there was an elevator guy. There was an elevator man who only worked between the hours of 10 and five with a two hour lunch break who just always yelled at me. Um, it was like one of those old elevators that are cage that has to be operated by a guy yeah. who would yell at me because he thought it was some sort of crazy witch. So I'd have to endure this man screaming at me and he wouldn't take me up the elevator a lot because, and I had pounds of crystals in my bag because I didn't live, I didn't, I didn't work there consistently. I worked in my house and then I worked there. And so he would just yell at me. I had like 20 pounds of crystals. I'm five foot two and he wouldn't take me in the elevator. And so it would be in a screaming match. Uh, but anyway, one of the rooms, <laughs> this is my first office, <laughs> which was, I'm in a, I'm in a much prettier office now where I can, where my clients are happy. And the elevator works without a crazy man who yells, you know, four hours out of the day. And also when you walk in, there was a sign that says, we are closed. Not we're closed. We are closed. Um, <laughs> when the elevator wasn't working, C-O-L, um, C-L-O-S-E, we are closed. And Uh-oh. it was just, <laughs> it was just a crazy, it was a crazy experience. One of the rooms there really felt like a portal. I don't know if you experienced this, but there's some places mm where I do energy work, where I feel like you can call in the spirits or where they come through. It's almost like the universe is thinner there. Mm -hmm. So it feels like there's a portal. And I think one of the rooms in this crazy building was a portal, was a really great portal. There were two experiences that I had there that were really profound. One of them was one of my regulars and she, she was going, she had a really tough life, a lot of abuse, a lot of family abuse. And it was really difficult which is very typical for one for my clients. And I saw three people in the room who were her relatives. And I actually, I don't always get their, I don't usually get their names. I got their names. 
Mm-hmm. And there were names that were not normal. One of the names was Fira, mm. which is Russian short name for Esther, Esfira. Mm. And I and I knew the name without her telling me, knew the names of one of her grandmothers. And also there was another guy in the room who I named and she was like, I never heard of this guy. And then she asked her father and then turns out that was one of the relatives mm. of one of the ancestors. So we had three ancestors in the room and I, when I see people, I see them kind of like gray and sort of an outline, like a fuzzy outline. I can generally see their hairstyle, their face, their height, and I can sense their personality. Mm. I don't usually know their names, but the personality is usually very clear and the personality comes through for, for some of the relatives. Wow. I have so many other questions <laughs> because it is, I love having someone else who understands what it is like to be intuitive yeah. and, and also the, that all the experiences are very different and it comes across depending on what our, you know, what our muscle is or, or whatever it is. It's, it's almost like everyone has a different personality and a different way of yeah. viewing and communicating. So I, I want to ask more, um, at this point, we're going to take a break and when we come back, I will, uh, I will ask those questions and we will dive in a little deeper. And, and for our listeners who, who, um, are curious about what that experience is like, we will re- reveal a, a, basically a whole nother world that, that I think both of us have, have had to, uh, adapt to and uh, get used to. So we'll be right back. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. I'll talk with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train. You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard. Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable. And so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this. Now we're back, and I'm here with Jessica Brodkin, founder of Love and Light Reiki. We were just talking about seeing spirits and her work doing energy healing. So, Jessica, you had mentioned fear and doubt. Can you talk more about that? Yes, I'd love to. I think that I I feel a lot of fear and I do stuff anyway, not all of the time, but in terms of every time I have a new client come in, there's which is pretty often, I have a lot of regulars, but I have a lot of new people come in. I'm I'm always just is this going to work for them? And then invariably it does. And I, I think I've figured out at this point, you know, what kind of clients are going to experience it better than others. But I do, I do have fear. I have fear sometimes in my own abilities. I have doubt in whether or not, you know, am I good enough? I mean, all of these same thoughts that people have 
And then I'm like, oh, well, I'm booked solid, so it's okay. You know, but then again, I just need to not fear and, and make sure that the healing is not about me. I'm just a conduit. I'm sure you'll hear, hear this from many healers that we're not actually healing, that we are just conduits for people to heal themselves or for the universe or for energies or for what spirits or what people, whatever people believe, whether it's energy or universe or ether, that it's, we are conduits to help other people to shepherd that energy and that it doesn't actually have to do with us. So I think with intuitive readings, I'm really scared to be wrong. I know that I've had a lot of people come back to me and tell me that my intuitive readings were on point, but I think that I think that intuitive readings might be my biggest fear because I, and I also don't like doing them because I think that they're not always the ones that I know the ones that you do I think are very in service to people and those are my favorite type types because when I do intuitive readings I prefer to do ones about life purpose and career and those are the ones that I really enjoy doing they're my favorite the ones I least enjoy doing are about romance hmm. I, I think a lot of women come who say I'm in love with someone he or she doesn't treat me well do we have a future hmm. and it really makes me want to bang my head against the wall because it's like well I can't predict what someone else is going to do it's hard. You know, certain things are written in the stars and certain things aren't. And I think that, I think that when it comes to when you're dealing with another human, you know, it, there's just so many factors involved. And the truth is like, does this person treat you right? Do you love each other? And a lot of the times the people who are coming in with those questions, they're not in that situation. They're in a crappy situation. Otherwise they wouldn't be talking to me about their love life. So... Mm -hmm. I think that, I don't know if that's, I mean, you have a very specific job in terms of the records, but I've also seen the Akashic records and I, I don't, I don't know what your experience is, is. I think that they can be amended. Is that correct? May I ask that? I, I personally think that information is just information and how we use the information to make empowered choices is our free will. That's beautiful. I think that I think a lot of people come to intuitives with an enormous amount of insecurity and they're looking for someone to tell them everything's going to be okay. And I think that part of being human and the challenges of being human are being comfortable with not knowing. Mm -hmm. And that so much more magic can occur when you don't know the future. Mm -hmm. I like to use my intuition when I'm healing someone, someone's on my table and I can see that they were sexually assaulted and they haven't told me. And they, um, some of them have never told anyone and they're in their thirties or however old they are. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, Oh, okay. Has anyone ever assaulted you? I like using my intuition to read people's past to see their traumas because that allows me to, to, to help them transform that trauma into acceptance or release or forgiveness or whatever they need to do that I find really productive. And so I guess as an intuitive, you have a very, and I mean, I took intuitive readings off my website and I, I have to, I have to figure, I had some people come in just for them, but for a lot of people, I prefer to do a he mix of healing. Mm -hmm. If I, if I'm doing an intuitive reading, I kind of insist on doing an intuitive reading and the healing mm -hmm. because I think that that's really productive for people. Yeah. So I'd love to switch gears and talk about the CIA. So it's not usual that I meet someone who has worked for the CIA. And from the people I do know, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get a job there in the first place. How does your experience with the CIA connect with what you are doing now? I think that's a great question. I've had so many questions about the CIA, especially since I'm open about my time there. Most people aren't. I also worked there for 11 years. It was my first job out of college, and it's been my really my only job besides starting my own business. When I, when I was 19 years old, I, decided, I, was working, I was at MIT. I was a sophomore. Everything was between my, my freshman and sophomore year. I decided that I wanted to work for the FBI or the CIA. And I was really straight edge in high school, and I decided that I was not going to do any drugs 
so that I would be able to get through the system really easily. Because the FBI like was very not forgiving of people's prior drug, even prior drug use. I At that time, when I was 19, I decided that I wanted to make an impact on the world. And I wanted to leave a mark. Not just make an impact. I wanted to make an impact in a positive way. And maybe working at the CIA wasn't the best move or maybe a, a silly thing. It's like, I'm going to make the world a better place by working at the CIA. Might as well be like, I'm going to, I love small businesses. I'll work at Walmart, you know, but it was just a ridiculous, not ridiculous. I wanted to make an impact on national security on a global scale. That's what I wanted to do. And right now I am making an impact on people's lives as an individual, as a healer, individual with, with, while doing individual healings. So... The thorough line is, that's what I'm doing now, and I'm working more towards making an impact in a larger way. So individuals, and then I'm working on getting my message across broader audiences. So the thorough line is the same to make a positive impact on the world. I'm just doing it in a really different way. I did not feel that I made a positive impact or really made any impact while I worked there. That's not to say that people who work there don't make a positive or any impact. I think that they do. I just personally, when I was there, I felt like I did not. I felt like I was not being used well. I don't feel like my, I think that there was, it was a really high pressured environment and I'm a very, I I, I couldn't handle it. It And I was there for 11 years. (laughs) It was really not good for me. Do you think that as someone who is intuitive or sensitive, even during that time, because I think we're all, whether or not you were aware of it, um, it's there. Do you think being in environments like that made it more challenging for you? My intuition really started to open up, I think, in the last two years that I worked there. And that was a whole process of discovering because, like, who discovers that they're intuitive in their 30s? Well, I did. You know, most people are intuitive. They actually have a lot of scientific evidence, which I know something you would love and connect with, that people who have become intuitive or are intuitive usually are intuitive out the gate or after a lot of trauma in their lives, Mm -hmm. after some sort of trauma. And so I was in the second category. So I became intuitive later. And also you can have a spiritual awakening by meditating a lot, or maybe in my case, meditating and receiving a lot of energy work for years and years, which is what I did. And I think that I learned a lot in terms of how to become a healer through transmission. Mm. So I didn't do it in the traditional way. Some of it I channeled, but I think I'm sure I picked up so much from my teacher just by being healed by him for so long. So the question was, is it, was it difficult to be sensitive in an environment like that? Absolutely. It was really difficult. I can't even, I'm trying to find the words to describe what it felt like to be a sensitive person or to be, I mean, one thing that we haven't discussed is that I began stand-up comedy, stand-up improv, all that stuff, but then I became, did, did just straight stand-up uh, while I was at the CIA. It was 28 so I became, I started stand up at 28. I wanted to quit immediately and do comedy. I couldn't figure out how to do that because even when I was getting paid, it was like 50 bucks a show or something like that, 50, <laughs> 200 bucks a show. And um, in New York City, that's great. No, I'm just, but people, you know, they, they don't get, um, most comics get paid like real money outside of the city. Um, and that, I think that being in such a pressure cooker environment made me really have to be funny in order to survive. I didn't know I was funny until I was at MIT because I left my family and I saw how unhappy people were and that I was able to, I know you were there in graduate school with undergrads, I think were much less happy than the graduate students is what I found. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Was that your experience? Um, I didn't realize that, but I definitely knew the undergrad experience was different. It was, di- it was really, we really, we really, it felt like as a collective, we suffered massively. When we come back, we're going to talk about what it was that allowed Jessica to stay and survive at the CIA, given everything that she just talked about. 
and how that contributes to her success today. We'll be right back. If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. Reach out to the Mouth Media team now at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Let's explore how we can collaborate and make Mouth Media Network a meaningful resource to share your message and grow your business. Again, that's podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. All right, we're back with Jessica, and we had just talked about her experience at the CIA. So, Jessica, tell us more about what you did at the CIA and how you managed to be there for 11 years, given everything that you just shared about the environment. My first and my main job at the agency was a weapons of mass destruction analyst. So I had a couple of other jobs. I did some math stuff. I did some leadership training. I did a couple of, I had a couple of gigs while I was there, but in general, I was mostly in the WMD space. What allowed me to survive there is that I think my Russian heritage, my parents are Russian immigrants, Russian Jewish immigrants. And so I think enduring suffering is part of my DNA. I think that there's um, my parents are amazing, but I think that there's a part of my heritage that has to do with, you know, suck it up cupcake. Life isn't supposed to be fun. I think that the Americans really believe that happiness is something that everyone is entitled to. It's in our, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there are other cultures that are just like Russian culture is not a, is not a, enjoy happiness, life is grand type of culture. It's more like, you know, Stalin, Siberia, Putin. This isn't really just like, <laughs> you know, they, the human trafficking. It's just not a, it's a diff. I think it's a difficult, I think I, I inherited sort of like the mental, the mental DNA of like enduring that stuff. My father was really concerned about me working at the agency because the two times that I was really sick was when I worked there and I was I guess when I was 26, I used to, I was like a semi-pro dancer. I was in grad school at Hopkins doing economics and math. And at night while I worked there, I had an amazing boyfriend and I just collapsed. And I think that, I think that the agency had a lot to do that for me. It did the question. So that's how I endured it. And 11 years is a really long time. It really is longer than all of my marriages combined. So I think comedy allowed me to endure it. I think doing, I think that for me, when I'm in a really difficult situation, I have to make jokes or I can't handle it. So I think that that was a huge outlet for me. I think that my sheer grit allowed me to endure it. I felt trapped. I felt like I couldn't do anything else. I had a degree, even though I went to MIT, my degree was in political science. And part of the reason I went to grad school and got my master's in econ was so that I could do something else. And I think I graduated in like 2008 or 2009, I can't even remember, for, from grad school. And the economy like collapsed, I think, in 2008, right? Mm -hmm. So there were no jobs. <laughs> so I felt like there was nothing else I could do. And when I finally did quit the CIA, I quit for comedy. I cashed in my 401k, or part of it, and I was just like, I'm going to make it as an actor. And I, I did some TV work, but, you know, it was not enough at all to pay for things and then the healing business just came out of nowhere. It really just something I really fell into something that was kind of felt like it was a calling or demand in demand of me. I see what you had said about weapons of mass destruction and love and light. 
is what you're working on now. <laughs> well, the, I wasn't increasing weapons of mass destruction. I was trying to contain the spread of weapons of mass destruction. Just to make it clear, I was trying to keep the weapons of mass destruction from mm-hmm. proliferation. It was a non-proliferation division. The goal was to stop the spread. Mm. But thanks for making that parallel. <laughs> we're like, oh, so you were like working on nuclear weapons? E- even the energy of the words and sort of the charge that you have within that division mm-hmm. and what it meant if if you didn't contribute to that work, like decreasing the proliferation of that, it that energy impacts you. Yeah. I mean, the whole purpose of so many of, uh, you know, the military industrial complex is you are looking at the world in really the opposite way of the way that I look at the world now. So the whole stance is they're trying to attack us. We need to protect, protect ourselves. And I kind of energetically give off a, a different vibe now in terms of that if I like feel peace and maintain peace outwardly, I receive peace. And so it's a very, I think that the, the whole experience there, it's also the kind of place you, you drive through, there are weapons everywhere. It's very, it's a very stressful environment. There's, um, you know, weapons and badges and, and all sorts of things to, to, to just get through there. It was, um, and it, then, it felt completely juxtaposition to who I am and I didn't know who I was because I started working there right after my 22nd birthday. So I started working there pretty young. Most people are like, I'm going to be an intern and I'm like, I'm going to work at the CIA or, you know, and, um, my previous jobs were all in science labs. So I worked in a genetics lab and then I worked in a material science lab where we did computer science uh, modeling of molecules, Monte Carlo simulations. So it was really different. So I think one of the questions is like, what is the core? What was the core of who I am there and the core of who I am now? And I think that that core is that wanting to make an impact. And at the time, my vision of wanting to make an impact was to stop the proliferation of nuclear weapons. I thought that was important enough for me to get out of bed, but I didn't have to kill anybody. So I thought that was a really like good balance for me. Um, and now, you know, and now I'm, I'm still impacting people and I'm impacting them in a different way, but the core message is the same. Now I just enjoy a lot more freedom as someone who is my own boss, runs my own business. It's, you know, I have more responsibility I have to do my own taxes. I have to um, set boundaries with clients. I have to talk to my clients and, and make them happy. But still, I'm my own boss and they, they're coming to, the way I see it is they're coming to a healer. They're coming to an oracle. They're coming to someone who makes them feel better and who has a positive impact on their lives. And as somebody who, while I worked at the CIA, I guess, I guess when I was 26, I, I, I started the healing journey. And the healing journey, I'm sure as you know, and the spiritual journey isn't just I lay down on a table, some dude waves his hands over me. It's a whole changing of, of the way that we think. And because when I when I, I have had a huge transformation from when I worked at the agency and now in terms of primarily the growth has been my own mindset that has taken an enormous shift for in terms of how I think what I believe is possible in my life. I believe then I believe that I was trapped. I felt completely trapped. I felt like I was in a in a situation that I could not get out of, that I wanted out of for 11 years. And now I'm like, oh, I can manifest my desire. I can start my own business. I can be on a podcast. I can be on a TV show. I can do whatever I want. And that kind of feeling also just, it's a whole different shift. And it's much more empowering. Hence all possibilities. All possibilities. So it's perfect for you. (laughs) Yeah, all possibilities. When, when we had talked, actually, very briefly when we first met, we started brainstorming ideas for how we could move this industry forward. This industry meaning energy healing, spirituality, intuitive um, connections. And given your background and your experience 
in actually doing these sessions and knowing what happens to your body, what happens to the client's body, whatever, you know, comes out of those, what are some ideas or, um, you know, dream scenarios of what research could do or what inquiry we could have to really raise awareness about how energy healing connects with health in a way that maybe um, Western medicine has not understood it yet? I think that's a great question. It's something I've thought about a lot. And I think we need more peer-reviewed studies about what works and what doesn't. I would love to have electrodes hooked up to my brain and to different parts of my body and my hands while I do healing. I know I've had uh, neurological tests done to see if I've had seizures. So they basically like just put all these low things on your head. I would love them to do that while I do an intuitive reading, while I do mediumship work, while I, I mean, it might be really stressful for me. So it'd be hard for me to really get comfortable in that scenario, but I would definitely do it. I would love them to really monitor what happens to a client during a healing session and to do it repeatedly with many clients to see like, because for me, there's also a selection bias in terms of who comes in to see me. Mm -hmm. So I, so for me, I would say my efficacy rate is, let's say 90% is what I feel, but there's a selection bias. So that might be 70% of the population or it might be at 90 or 80%. I don't know. But the thing is, if someone was hooked up there, if they had ways to measure, what, what, what do they want to measure? Do they measure their, their first thing? One of the first things I notice is breathing changes. So measure their heart rate, measure um, maybe the electric electromagnetic field in someone's body. Because the things that we could measure easily would be like heart rate, um, uh, lung, right, lung capacity. You could measure their brain waves very easily. You could measure their, um, their heat distributed throughout the body. You could measure... Um, their electromagnetic field. These are the energy fields that we understand already. And, and I would love to see, I would love to do energy work on someone and watch those things shift and see what happens. And I, I would do it all day long or I do it for a week. One of my dreams is to be at the NIH or wherever and to be a part of a study like that. Mm. So I don't I think that answers your, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. Um, one of the, ideas that I have just in meeting people like you on this podcast and through my work is that there is an opportunity for us to kind of have citizen science or like grassroots um, opportunities to have fun and also, you know, kind of see what does exist. Because I'm curious, like I I would like to have EEGs of my brain when Mm -hmm. I'm, you Mm -hmm. know, actually channeling and um, and the information that comes out, like how can you visualize it? Um, what, bes- I guess my question is besides the peer-reviewed journals, what what more would you like to see in New York City, let's say, to really raise awareness of energy healing and their, its benefits? I think part I think that is part of my mission is to raise the awareness of that and I think that my goal is to do that is to do that through media. So through writing, through television, through radio, podcasts, that's one of my goals to make it kind of more mainstream. I think that in an ideal you know, 30 years ago it wasn't normal for everyone to have a therapist. People were ashamed of being in therapy. So I would like it to be more mainstream or normal to see an energy healer. I would like some, I think some people should go often and I think some people should go once in a while, maybe once a month or once a quarter. Some people should go every week. There are people who see me and their therapist on the same day. And I think that that's great. So, but I I think energy healing is not just energy healing. It's also, um, regardless of what your religious background is, it doesn't matter what you believe or you don't believe. Mindfulness is a way of life. Mindfulness is a way of philosophy that you can get through life you can make our modern world more palatable regardless and because we we're in a weird time also where we have a lot of people who are very religious in america and we have a lot of people who are completely secular 
So who, who is who's supporting the secular people? What is giving them? I think that's part of why Marvel comics and all these things are so popular is because we as humans need a mythos. We need mythology. We as humans have had mythology to help us get through life, to help us because there's the only constant in life is change. And also, there, I think for most people, there's a, there are a lot of challenges that come up that they don't expect or they don't know how to handle. So we use television shows to help us face it. So what if there were other things as well? Yeah, it's kind of an integrative approach to how we deal with stress and how we connect with with our own selves, whether it's through comedy, whether it's through energy healing, right. whether it's through you know, stories connecting with one another. I think that the studies are really important. I think that the, I think that the evidence is really important for the skeptics. I think that that's one of the main ways to make it mainstream. There are two ways to make it mainstream. One is to make it cool. One is to raise awareness and one is, is to provide evidence that it actually works for people. So this is an opportunity for our listeners to hear about how they can get in touch with you. And um, whether there's something, a cause that you believe in, or a word of wisdom that you want to impart as our final thoughts. Great. I think that the best way to get in touch with me is through my website at loveandlightservices.com. So that's loveandlightservices.com. Find me on Yelp. Um, if you just type in healer or Reiki in New York. But um, you can email me at, at info at loveandlightservices. And um, I will be doing more workshops and talks and stuff like that. So it's not going to be just individual sessions in the near future. If they want to contact me for comedy or anything else, it's also you could also find me at jessicabrodkin.com. It's B-R-O-D-K-I-N.com. I think that my main word of wisdom for everyone is to live in the now. Because so many people are worried about either their past or their future. They're worried or they're losing their future as an escape. So the main thing is to, to live in the now and to ground, to feel like you're grounded and connected to all that is. Yeah, so we could do 10% off a single session and the promo code will be all possibilities. So you can just include that. It won't come out in booking, but leave a note during booking that you heard me on all possibilities and it's a 10% off code. Right. So I'll honor that. Yeah. Thank you so much for offering that. Sure. To our Thank you. Right. Well, Jessica, it was amazing having you on our show and for sharing your journey with us. Uh, such an inspiration. And I hope more, uh, more conversations will be had about moving this industry forward. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Take advantage of Jessica's offer. Until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.